Hi there. It's another Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm OMN editor Tom D'Antoni, and as always, we're coming to you from World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland. I've got drummer Carlton Jackson with me, one of the most versatile drummers around. Soul, funk, blues, jazz, rock, you name it, and he has played it. A native Portlander, a fellow KMHD DJ, and one of my favorite people. Coming up in future shows, Lisa Marsicek, Ms. Kitty to you, Doodoo Funk King Tony Ozier, blues guitarist Mary Flower, Ron Blessinger from Third Angle, and pianist Ramsey Emnick. Right now, let's talk with Carlton Jackson. All right, well, we, be, hello. Hello. <laughs> we were just uh, uh, talking before I turned on the machine, uh, and uh, we were just, uh, and, and you, you were starting to tell a story about Les McCann and Leroy Vinegar, two singular personalities in the universe. Right. <laughs> so t t tell that story. Well, to preface the whole thing, you know, we were, you and I were talking about the old guys. Yeah. You know, like Lou Donaldson regaling us with stories this year at the Jazz Festival and Barry Harris and yeah. Gerald Wilson, all these guys, they, they, they have a glimpse into the, the past that we will never have. Right. You know, I'll never have that glimpse. But um, Cathedral Park, a bunch of years ago, Leroy and Leroy Vinegar, Les McCann were reunited. Uh, for, for this festival, I guess. Um, somehow or another, just worked out the two of them were able to come uh -huh. and, and play together. So the gig fell to me, and I went to a rehearsal at 9.30 in the morning at the Benson Hotel. And I walk in, and Les is kind of sitting at the piano, just kind of real quiet. He gets up, gives me a hug. and uh -huh. Yeah, nice to have you on the gig. And Leroy comes in a few minutes after that, the minute those two met up, all of a sudden the stories start flying. <laughs> and like L.A. in the 1940s. Oh, jeez. Um, and and one of the stories, <laughs> Leroy Leroy Vinegar has got to be one of the funniest guys I've ever encountered as a jazz musician because uh -huh. he's so giving and, and such a big heart and loves to laugh. Uh -huh. So he was talking to Les and he's. Yeah, remember, remember when uh, we met Charles Brown? <laughs> and and Leslie, yeah, that's right, that's right. Remember what he said to us? <laughs> yeah, Les said, yes, I remember. And I want you to be in my band. <laughs> in that inimitable Charles Brown voice. My band. <laughs> you can just see the teeth flashing, the big <laughs> smile, and everything. those those guys they have yeah. these stories, and they're just they're they're so valuable because they 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 give a big insight into us as a people. Les told me that they had been next door neighbors in L.A. Yeah, and that and that Leroy was his protector. Oh man, because Les, as we know, <laughs> has a smart mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And doesn't care what he says. And you, I guess it's okay. You can say anything you want if you've got Leroy Vinegar uh, having your back. Oh, 
Well, how tall is Leroy? Leroy is six eight. Yes. You know, and, and you see all those pictures back in the day where Leroy's standing behind Les, and it's yeah. just like all of a sudden. I mean, this guy is really big. Yeah. So I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with Les if I had Leroy shadowing me. <laughs> oh, he was he was a jewel. He the, the fifteen years that he was here in Portland. Talking about Leroy. Yeah. Um, I. I got such a illumination on how to play in a jazz trio with Leroy. I'd done it, you know, yeah, but yeah. but to have have Leroy and Joff Lee, yeah, and they're they're playing. They have their own book of things that Leroy's written and that uh -huh. Leroy did with Les McCann. Yeah. And, um, there was a Wynton Kelly sort of influence that came in, but uh -huh. but just how. The first time I got hired to work with Leroy was at uh, Atwaters. Oh, Atwaters. Subbing for Mel. I right? love that place. Oh, I, I did too. And they, they yeah. really love jazz. They love Leroy having him there. And, and the best view in town. Oh, it's a beautiful place. Beautiful yeah. place. Um, 40th floor of the uh, of Big Pink. The Big Pink, yeah. yeah. So the first time I played, with, there was no rehearsal. There was like Leroy calling me up and, and saying, well, you've got some brushes. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, I got some brushes. You've got some mallets. I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I got some cymbal mallets. Because you know I like to play that theme from Samson, Delilah. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you know, he's, he's expecting you to know the repertoire. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least, you know, what he, he's played in many, many years. He's, he's built up his own book. And so... Yeah. Just from note one, he, he made you feel like you were, it was inclusive, it wasn't exclusive. Uh-huh. And, and a sweetheart of a guy. I, I value that time that he was here playing with other people, obviously, you know, playing with Dick Burke and yeah. Mel Brown yeah. and Ron Steen yeah. and whatnot. But, yeah, I, I spent enough time to kind of have a graduate class and how to groove and how to play in those situations i mean did, did he like was it hands-on teaching or or just, how did he communicate that stuff to you it was just by the way he played uh-huh he would play this groove that was just a mile wide you know they called him the walker and yeah quarter notes were his thing uh-huh and it wasn't it wasn't like he, the quarter notes some were rushed some were dragging no they all just had a purpose huh. and you could tell that the man was as strong as the purpose. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. whatever he would play, he would just get you to feel good about what you were doing. And, and if I was honest with my swing beat, uh -huh. it'd line right up. And, and yeah. Leroy, what do you mean honest with your swing? Well, you, well you, not, not rushing, not dragging. Yeah, yeah. Just putting it in the center yeah. of the belly button, as it were. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, whatever the pulse is. Uh-huh. You know, you, you, you honor the pulse. And, and Leroy was a master at honoring the pulse. So I, I thought that was a that was upper division education for me. I bet. Wow. Great man, great man. And and loved to laugh. He he gave me <laughs> I don't know why all these Leroy stories are but you know with, Why not? <laughs> why not? Yeah. You know, it's so important. He gave me a um a Dracula uh, <laughs> on a on a stick pin. <laughs> And I still have it to this day. And, uh -huh. and, and he 
somehow or another, he got it from somebody and he gave it to me. And then he told me the story about Billy Joe Jones doing perfect, a perfect Bella Lugosi <laughs> in his time. <laughs> I want to suck your blood, you know. And, and, and you know, these guys, they, they had to laugh in the 40s. Yeah, they, they were yeah. still going through racial tensions. Right, right. So right, yeah. I could see where the humor comes from because it was like survival with them. Yeah. But, but Leroy loved to laugh. And he, he just, he would, he told me that story and he says, here, you, you need this. <laughs> so from there, I, I, I said, well, you know, I'd never heard blues for Dracula, you know, Philly Joe Jones. And so I, uh -huh. I searched that out and that, that was kind of, Am I going down that path? Huh. Why did he think you needed it? <laughs> the stick pin, or, or yes, oh, oh, just just to, just to be funny, you know. And and the stick pin's pretty funny. It's yeah, just, yeah. You know, yeah. Dracula's got his wings spread out, and, and just you know, I think he's kind of got a buck tooth or something. That's funny. Instead of fangs, just yeah, like yeah, yeah. buck teeth. And, <laughs> and, and Leroy loved to laugh. He really, he really did. He was he was very generous with that too. Yeah. Well, it's no wonder they named a school after him. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we go up to um, McMenamin's um, Kennedy School, uh -huh. and you see that relief that's on the wall in in, yeah. the, in the theater. Yeah. One side's Mel Brown, the other side's Leroy Vinegar. I'd, yeah. I'd say I'd say you you did your job as far as yeah you know letting yeah. the people know about jazz and yeah. being a jazz statesman and whatnot. I looked up and saw those reliefs in the ceiling. I said, that's, that's a nice way to, to be recognized. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, you, you're always in so many bands. <laughs> <laughs> Not lately. Really? <laughs> Not lately. Uh, it's, it's a changing, uh, changing landscape. Always is, though, isn't it? It is. It, it's a changing landscape. I mean, I'm, I have gray hair now. There was a time when, you know, people say, "Oh, Carlton Jackson, that that kid." Oh, right. You know, like, right. I mean, I I started playing professionally when I was fifteen. Professionally? Yeah, I had a union card. Wow. Oh yeah, in high school, had a had a great set of band teachers that took me through grade school and uh -huh. you know concert band and. Where'd you go to school? Out in the David Douglas district. Okay. Yeah, for the for the lion's share of my schooling, I, I uh -huh. did second grade over at Saban Elementary in Northeast Portland, uh -huh. and then I was part of the uh, the voluntary busing, really, to other schools. Wow! By black kids going to other schools. That was so weird. I mean, I, I, I I'm a little bit older than you. Yeah. But you've seen things, you know, and I'm from Baltimore, which yeah. was which was a segregated town. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, without any warning, <laughs> you know, they threw us all together mm -hmm. with no counseling, no discussion. Yeah. It, just here, here. There's the pool. Jump in. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and I would say as it got further back east. Yeah. It got more serious. Yeah. You know, because. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you got the South. <laughs> Baltimore's full of the Mason, Mason Dixon line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean we, had, we had segregated lunch counters. Exactly. I remember there was a, a famous amusement park um, about a half mile from my house. Yeah, yeah. That was that was, that had to be desegregated with with uh, demonstrations and yeah. stuff. Yeah, we didn't we didn't have that going on out here. Yeah. You know, I I other than 
you know, Vanport being right. wiped out and, right. you know, a lot of people losing their lives with that. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's just funny to, to think about the seriousness of how it, it, it was where you were from. Yeah. Yeah. And areas around that, and as you went toward yeah. the West Coast, right. it wasn't it wasn't as prominent. So you say voluntary? Did, does that mean it was your decision or your parents' decision? My my mom. You yeah. Know, she signed. She signed, Yeah. Get him out of here. Oh. You yeah. know. Yeah. All my brothers went to school here in town, like Jefferson. Uh huh. Um, they went there, and uh, they were in sports, and they did really well. They they wound up. You know, competing against each other for the state championship and wrestling and yeah. that kind of thing. And, um, they went to Jefferson. I went to Saban for one year, and then I, I went out to Gilbert Heights in the David Douglas District, then Gilbert uh -huh. Middle, and then David Douglas High School. Uh -huh. All in all, you know, I, I was raised that people were people. And, you know, their color didn't mean anything. I mean, we, we were playing as kids, all different colors in the yeah. streets and fighting and, yeah. you know, loving yeah. each other and yeah. playing basketball up yeah. in the park. Yeah. Um, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't part of my DNA to like, like gotcha. have this hate thing. Going yeah. On. Yeah. And I had to unlearn a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know? I just, I, I just kind of, Felt like okay, you know, we look at each other, we're talking to each other, and it was funny. I, I was looking through my um, my Facebook pictures, and I actually scanned the picture. The Oregonian came out to the grade school I was at, uh -huh. and took a picture of us on the um, not not the jungle gym, but the um, what, the teeter totter. Oh yeah, yeah. And they had this this four person teeter totter going, and there were three white kids and me, and I think I think my friend Charles Howard too. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. there was five of us, and yeah. we're all just kind of sitting on the teeter totter, and yeah, and yeah. yeah it's pretty innocuous stuff. Yeah. The funny thing is, <clears throat> when I was growing up, especially in elementary school, because um, integration happened when I when I went to what we called junior high at the time, mm -hmm. uh, was I was a minority. Because everybody else in the school was Jewish. Yeah. Well, you could look at it the same way. I, yeah. mean, I, I was a yeah. minority pretty much. Yeah. In, in a, you go to David Douglas High School that that time, seventy five, there was fifteen hundred kids. Yeah. That went to that school. Yeah. Um, they between two buildings, the senior building and the uh -huh. junior building, yeah. and, and so I don't know. I, once again, I, I just I just think that if you, I was able to carry myself in a certain way. Yeah. And that was my survival. There, there were a couple of times somebody wanted to be a love kid. Right. You know, maybe the fear in me grabbed somebody and right. put their head into a locker. Well. And and <laughs> it got taken care of. Nobody messed with you after that. Yeah. yeah. So why did you, yeah. you do that to Carlton? Come on. Yeah. So yeah. my my schooling was very positive. That's good. Yeah. That's uh, good. You know, considering I lasted through all the way through graduation and some yeah. of the kids that were from my neighborhood did not. Yeah. They they decided to go back to Portland School District. Well I I I I took my having to unlearn the ignorance that I was taught from my family mm -hmm. to such an extreme mm -hmm. that I went to a traditionally black college. No, 
Well, that, that'll give you some info. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I got, uh, I got the message. Well, I, I did get the message. Yeah, well, that's, that informs your musical choices when I hear your sure. show. Sure. And that's the soundtrack of me growing up. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you know, Alvin Cash and the Crawlers. It's like, right. Oh, yeah. Right. Fine time. I knew, I knew about that. Yeah. My yeah. sister yeah. listened to that stuff because she loved to dance. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, I, I, I hear you <laughs> having to unlearn. I was lucky enough to have to not have to unlearn. Yeah. Because my yeah. mom, you know, I mean, I, I she passed away um, a couple of Januarys ago. Uh-huh. So it's still pretty recent. But, yeah. Yeah, I give her the credit. I give yeah. her the credit for the bubbling human being that you see in front of you. You know, yeah. I mean, she yeah. was she was responsible for that. Um Taught you right and wrong, you uh-huh. know, love the mess uh-huh. out of you, uh-huh. you know, spanked you when you needed. I didn't need that much spanking. I, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I got a few spankings. I said, that's enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the way that feels. Well, you were lucky. Yeah. You were lucky. You were lucky. Yeah. Well, it's like my sister, you know, she, she got the idea of like, like what's the Richard Pryor thing where, where the the parent would like make you go out in the yard, get your own switch. <laughs> yes. And yes. then you're you're kind of yeah, taking yeah, right. you take the switch back to the house right, and you're, right. you're going really slow. Yeah. And then the wind <laughs> catches it. <and> you <laughs> then you start to cry because you're carrying your own switch back to the house. What kind of psychology is that? That's not good. <laughs> that is. That's some serious black psychology. That's that's some that's 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 not healthy. <laughs> not healthy. Oh. Unhealthy. Unhealthy. <laughs> and then they grab it out of your hands and start just yeah. walking you with it. Yeah, so yeah. I said, yeah, I, I'd rather I'd rather do the right thing, right? So I don't get hit. Yes, that's <laughs> good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good, Doctor uh, D'Antoni. Uh, where, where's your couch at? Man? That's right. I'll tell you when the fifty minutes are up. <laughs> No, uh, 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 my mother was so crazy that she um, uh, she tried to stop me from liking Little Richard. Oh wow! Yeah, but she was she also would say stuff like uh, she would she would tell me not to think about sex. Oh, oh, and 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 what? Little Richard and sex are synonymous. Right. Well, I just never could quite understand how you could not think about sex. Because by not thinking about it, you were thinking about it. Oh, oh yeah. No, no, no. It, it's, it, it, it needs to be thought about yeah. <laughs> to actualize it. In but the- my father was much worse. Uh, oh, okay. He was, he was bad. He was not, not good. He was Mr. Mr. Bigot. Mr. And, Bigot. Yeah. You know, it's not good. Not good. You no. know, I mean, that was, uh, you know, and I don't cut him any slack either. I never cut him any slack. Matter of fact, I cut him off. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when, because one time I met him, I guess I was in my twenties. I met him at a boxing, mm-hmm. a boxing uh, match, mm-hmm. and he said he had come there to see the end get beat. Oh. That was my father. Well. Okay. Well, and and my mom used to say, you know, they can't help where they come from. Yeah, they can. But bullshit. You can, That's you, bullshit. You can you can help it <laughs> later. You, if you're in the middle of it, <laughs> yeah. If you're in the middle of all that racism, yeah, right. and, and you know, some people like I'm, I'm reading Peter Erskine's book, yeah, uh, called No Beethoven, uh-huh. and it's it's basically about uh, the, his life and the times in Weatherport. Ah, band. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
he weaves in some stories about his background because he married a Japanese woman. Right. And his dad had been in the World War. Oh. And was fighting his yeah. feelings. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, yeah. he, he loved this girl yeah. that, that Peter had decided, okay, well, I'm going to put cast my lot in with her. Yeah. Loved, loved her, loved the grandkid, but was fighting the impulses of being in the war. And, you know, dirty Japs. Right. That kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and Peter had to kind of go after him a little bit. He loved his father, but he, he was like, he's like <laughs> yeah, he starts saying yellow something. Oh, and, and he says, come on, Dad. Wow. Come on, Dad. I so, know. It's it, it's a minefield. It really is. It, it, is. it really is. And and I'm I'm so I mean I'm I'm, I'm really fortunate that um, my my family didn't have to negotiate that minefield. That's good. Good. Yeah. So speaking of minefields, where did you play <laughs> when you were 15? Oh well, got my union card. <laughs> yeah. Musicians Union Local 99. Uh huh. And um, was in high school. Yeah. Mel Brown decided to go back out on the road with Diana Ross. Mm -hmm. So that took him and Phil Baker and George Mitchell out of town because they were his or they were Diana's rhythm section for mm -hmm. quite a few years. But Mel was gone. He was back on the road again. Yeah. So Larry Morell, my my band teacher at that time, who I, I own a bunch uh -huh. of my ability to him, I owe a lot to him, um, and who went to Jefferson High School. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so he understood. You know, yeah, he, yeah. He knew, he knew what was going on with uh -huh. what we were talking about, yeah. with the whole color thing. Yeah. But he also knew that this kid's good. He can read. He can play styles, you know, because they were they were yeah. drilling me on a lot of that stuff. Uh -huh. You know, I I listened to well, that's where my love for Dad Jones, Mel Lewis came into the picture. Uh huh. Seventy five, seventy six. Yeah. Um, Basie. Uh huh. Don Ellis. Uh huh. Speaking of which, I'm so glad that um, the the only part of that movie Whiplash that, that it means anything is the fact that they used Don Ellis or Hank Levy's tune uh -huh. that Don Ellis used to play. Uh -huh. Other than that, uh -huh. you don't need that stuff. <laughs> so we can talk about that later. But but yeah, um, I I had been playing society gigs, you know, private jobs with nine-piece bands. Johnny Wright's had a nine and eleven When you were 15? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, my band teacher at, in the high school and um, a couple other guys, they just kind of went to the different band leaders and said, you know, there's this kid, he's good, and Mel's not going to be around. We need to get somebody in that we really like. Yeah. You know? So, I started playing for the big bands and um, did that pretty much through the, uh, the 90s. Uh-huh. And then, then people stopped buying large groups like that for yeah. an event. You know, yeah. the iPod came in, and right? Changed everything. Right. So, and and plus the uh, drunk driving laws, yeah, kind of came into force. So people weren't dropping three grand on a big band, right? They weren't dropping two grand on a room in a hotel, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and we haven't even gotten to the booze yet. Just hire a DJ and do the electric slide. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. 
you know, coming out of disco into the, yeah. the 90s. So yeah. for a while, you know, the, the kind of stuff that I was doing in that realm died down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty much gone now, other than, you know, Art Abrams having yeah. his band and, yeah. and Dave Mills and I co-lead a band who you interviewed quite Very a while ago. Yeah. Thank you very much wow. for helping us stay in the lexicon yeah. of people's thinking. But um, there's just... Are you going to take another run at that? I'd love to. I, I just need to find a room. Yeah. A um, couple of places. I've been, I've been trying to just talk to them and maybe edge them yeah. toward, toward yeah. what we do. Um, but yeah, I, I think a band like that, especially that particular band, needs to be up and running. Do you have to make a larger statement when you're playing um, with a big band? Um, not for myself. Um, I hardly take solos. There, there are some tunes where it's kind of built in, and, yeah. and yeah, it's nice to give the horns a little bit of a break. And uh-huh. musically, thematically, if I'm feeling it. You know, then I'll, I'll expound on something, but it's, um, it, I don't feel, I don't feel it necessary to make grand gestures in a band like that. I'm, I'm kind of a Mel Lewis acolyte. Uh-huh. I, I love the way he plays in a big band. Uh-huh. I love to watch Buddy Rich. And, and if you're playing a Buddy Rich tune, you, you kind of have to bow to that, that end of things as far as how it feels. But mostly I try to, I try to kind of lean toward Mel Lewis uh-huh. Um, oh, who's the guy that uh, used to play with Bob Florence? Uh, Nick Ciroli. Uh-huh. Oh, man, I I love that. That uh-huh. kind of big band drumming. Where yeah. You get inside of the music. Uh-huh. You don't have to hammer nails into the ground to, like, get the time feel. To be. Uh-huh. You just hire good players, and, uh-huh. and everybody makes it feel good. I just kind of accentuate things. Uh-huh. That's the kind of big band drumming I like. Yeah. Um, Peter Erskine, when when he played, I saw him with Maynard Ferguson. Really? When he was just on the band for two weeks, it had gotten off the Kenton band. He'd uh-huh. been on the Kenton thing for six years. Yeah. And and man, that that was like a life changer. It really was. Maynard was uh, he was kind of touring on Chameleon. Uh huh. But the band was just they were just uber great, and and. Peter just played, he played the slinkiest funk you could have. They played Arigen at warp speed. Really? And they're making it. And and it's the same Micah Benny arrangement that Maynard has played for many years. And But when they took it at warp speed, it was just like, whoa, that's, that's, that's like Dizzy Gillespie. Like the future of music is happening. Yeah. When, when guys like that play. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But but yeah, that was that was something that kind of said to me, oh yeah, okay, you're gonna do that. You're gonna you're gonna strive uh-huh. to sound like that. Uh-huh. And so as I got older, 15, 16, 17, 18, um, I just listened a lot and got better. Uh-huh. And luckily, I had atmospheres that I could go and get better in instead of playing in bad situations. Uh-huh. And you you could feel yourself getting better. Oh, I I kind of got it. Yeah. I mean, I I really it's like, are you getting this? I said, like, yes, yes, I got it. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. Um, yeah. if I had to play a samba, I could I could play a samba. If I had to play a ballad, I could play a ballad. Do uh-huh. you need to play behind a singer? Yes, 
Uh-huh. I will play behind a singer. Do you, uh, here's here's a flag waver that the band's playing, and you yeah. got to make every all the setups and all that kind of wait stuff. A minute. Sure. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Flag waver. Like something real fast, you know, yeah. like like Whirly Bird. Yeah. You know, it's, it's I mean, when the Basie Band did that kind of stuff, they weren't playing. They weren't kidding around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There, there's some great uh, recordings like the mosaic box of all mm-hmm. the bassy stuff, the uh, roulette live mm-hmm. stuff that they did. Uh-huh. And just to hear the between song chatter. There's, it's oh, like, it's like yeah. a basketball game. Yeah. Guys are talking to you and telling yeah. they scream <laughs> so you don't get clipped. There's all, yeah. this, all this talking going on with the band. and, and What I, do they say? Well, Basie started playing an intro to a tune, and yeah. I think it was like uh, uh, Blee Blop Blues, something, something from the 40s. Yeah. But, you know, it was at a moderate tempo in the 40s. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's going, and he's playing the intro, and, and you hear guys saying, 17, 17. They're calling out the number of the tune because some of the guys, he's, oh my God, he's playing Blee Blop Blues. 17, yeah. man, get up, 17. And then they get into it, and they're just off and running. And you could tell it was like they weren't used to playing it that fast, but hell or high water, they're going to make this. Yeah, yeah. And I tell you, you know, Basie, he didn't have to, like, wave his arm in a big gesture like you were talking about to get people to do things. He would just start a tune off at a certain tempo, and it's like, uh-oh, we better be making this. But yeah, I mean, I man, I I love bass in the '60s, '70s, uh-huh. '80s. How, how do the, how do those dynamics work in 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 your band with Dave Mills? Who who does that? Who does those? Who who calls those things? We all do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's on the page. Uh huh. And and then there's common sense. It's like if we're playing just something nice and and smooth, then. You know, everybody should kind of drop down a dynamic marking just to make the overall thing be uh-huh. what it's supposed to be. Uh-huh. You 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 hire good musicians that understand that. I mean, I heck, well, just the saxophone section alone. I mean, when we were at Secret Society, Dave Evans was playing, yeah. John Nastos, yeah. Mark Davey was playing. Uh, Gary Harris was lead alto, and, uh-huh. and who am I leaving out? I'm leaving out a tenor, and this is terrible. Um, That's oh, okay. Rob Davis. Rob Davis, yeah. How, how can I? How can I forget the? See, I don't play enough with guys like that. Yeah. I would love to play more with Rob Davis, uh-huh. but he's kind of in an area where you know he doesn't play a lot of gigs. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to. Right. You know, but when he when he wants to, it's right. Uh huh. You know, and I, I'd love to play with a guy like that. Um, yeah. Derek Sims, you know. Uh-huh. He's the he's yeah. the jazz soloist in the trumpet chair. Yeah. And yeah. you know, Derek and I we've we've managed to kind of do a couple of things that are, you know, kind of maybe a harbinger of things to come. Uh-huh. But those those kind of guys, they, they're so good at what they do, they play dynamically strong. Yeah. When it's time to blast, they're there. But then when it's time to lay back and, and be really really feather like then they can do that and, and that's that's why you know I can get I can 
get around what they do and just accentuate what they do. I don't have to hammer it forward. Uh-huh. And we all get soft. We all get soft. <laughs> you know, and, and so yeah, I, Dave and I, we're he's Dave is such a great guy. You know, on top of being a fantastic writer. Uh huh. He doesn't write enough for the big band, but that's okay because his stuff is getting played by schools now. Uh-huh. And, and and the last thing that Dave contributed to the band was, uh, oh, uh, that that uh, Ralph Towner tune, Icarus. Yes. And yeah. it was a it was a um, tune for the memory of, of a friend of ours, Jeff Cumston, uh-huh. great jazz drummer, passed away in a terrible way, but. Um, that's the kind of stuff that makes us different from just the regular sort of big band. Uh-huh. We can play swing stuff and, and play that yeah. and love it. And, you know, we, we do things. We played certain tunes all the time because it's part of the repertoire. Uh-huh. But that other stuff, you know, like the, the stuff like what Vince Mendoza writes. Uh-huh. I like that kind of stuff. I'm, I, I guess maybe I have more of a contemporary heart in some respects. But I have a, a fierce traditional heart because you got to know your history before you can move on and play this newer stuff. So a good for all star still happening? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not as much as we'd like. Hint, hint, hint. Public, <laughs> please hire this band. It's well, I remember a couple of years ago, um, <coughs> you guys played a James Brown tribute. At the Blues Festival. Oh, yeah. And I got to, I got up, and, and I got to tell my James Brown story. I remember it. You, you're, you're on a video. Somebody <laughs> Is that right? Actually, <laughs> I love finding myself on YouTube. I really do. It's, it's, it's amazing what's up there. <laughs> and I've told the story a million times, but just in case people haven't heard it, I was, uh, I was working for a TV station in Baltimore, and James Brown owned a radio station, or had owned a radio station in Baltimore, and yeah. also a, a, a motel, yeah. oh. <laughs> stuff like that. And they all went bust. That was power to James, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, right. Yeah. And, and it was a great radio station, too, and it had my favorite uh, soul disc jockey of all time, Hot Rod, yeah. Maurice Hulbert. And, uh, but it, it all went bust, and he, he came into town to... to um, for a court, uh, you know, they were, he's being, you know, people were trying to get his money in there. Yeah. Yeah. He had to, he had to be, he had to testify. Oh, yeah. And when I say testify, I mean <laughs> testify. <laughs> and I'll never forget. He uh, he looked at the judge and said, "Judge, if I was Chrysler Corporation, you wouldn't be doing this to me." <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. Well, he actually was so right. True. Anyway, but anyway, so I interviewed him that later that night, and and I just, you know, naively say. That Mr. Brown, uh, what is it? What is it that you do? And he said, just looked at me right now and goes, I just kick off on the one and let the boogie do the rest. <laughs> and I remember when I introduced you guys, I went, Mr. Jackson, please kick off on the one. Oh, there you go. All right, now <laughs> I've asked a, I've asked a lot of people this, this question. Yeah. What is the one to you? The one is. The downward pulse uh-huh. of the first part of any measure of music, uh-huh. you know, it's 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 a it it's a sure pulse. Uh-huh. When when James is grooving, you know, like put up, put up, put up, put up, put up, 
You know, it's, just, yeah, it's that yeah. accent on beat one uh-huh. where you launch into it. Yeah. And and that creates this forward momentum uh-huh. that James needed to feel because he's all he's working that mic stand with his yeah. hand. Yeah. And he's he's on on beat one. He's like jamming that mic in front of him and bringing it back. Yeah. So he's got this back and forth sort of thing, but he's uh-huh. he's feeling the pulse. And so he would always say, you know, put it on the one. Yeah. Make that well, that's what makes George Clinton in Parliament so cool. Well, you know, I actually just finished uh, the James Brown biography called called On the One. I, I read that. Yeah, and and I, and I and I and I've heard other stories that he didn't really do that until Bootsy got in his band. Well, Bootsy had that sort of yeah influence yeah that sort of feel, and Bootsy was high on LSD, so he didn't care. <laughs> Because it's funny, there's, there's some great videos of him talking about it. He says, you know, we we did our thing, we can respect him, but, you know, we, we're kind of our own man, you know. Yes. Man, I was so high anyway. Yeah. Him, <laughs> and, him and his brother. Him and, yeah, cat, Catfish. Yeah, catfish, yeah. Catfish Phelps. <laughs> he, he said, yeah, we, we did, you know, because we were country boys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't he could reel us in. You know, it's just so amazing how these things influenced the the universe <laughs> literally influenced the universe well okay there's there's one james brown in the universe yes there's yes. one james brown and there are right. thousands of fakes yes yeah. one of my favorite fakes and i and i it's funny because i i got hip to this guy i just going across the the netscape uh-huh and i the first time i saw bobby williams uh-huh. I said, if Eddie Murphy didn't get his James Brown from this guy, there's something wrong. The universe is, you know, just presenting this right to you. Yeah. It, the guy looks just like Eddie Murphy. You know, doing James Brown. One, two, three. And his mouth kind of, kind of, it hangs in one place. One, two, three, three. I swear, and and I'll, I'll look at that, and then the horns come in, and yeah. they're just so yeah. woefully out of tune. Oh. Oh, it's bad. Oh. But, it, you know, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying, he's trying to get these guys to, to come on. Like he's pulled them over the, the yeah. hill with a rope. Yeah. Imagine if there hadn't been a Tammy show. Well, yeah. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that more than anything else, brought James Brown to, to the rest of the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you that know? James Brown was just a force that was yeah. waiting to be unleashed. Yeah. You know, he... Yeah. He thought he thought he should. Uh, everything revolved around him, and it did. And it did. <laughs> yes, it did for the most part. But then, <laughs> then you have you have very talented people like Lucy Collins. Yeah. Fred Wesley. Fred Wesley. Maceo. Maceo Parker. Fred Wesley ta- telling the story of of when James finally got some attention from the people that made black exploitation movies. Yeah. Oh right. Right. Well, it was uh, Slaughter's Big Ripoff. Yeah. The second yeah. Slaughter movie with Jim yeah. Brown. Yeah. And American International put it out. Uh-huh. They had money. Right. And so they came to James Brown and, and said, can you write a score for the movie? James Brown didn't understand that you watch picture <laughs> and you write to the picture. And so Fred... No, no, no. You, you make your movie to my music. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, Larry Cohen, the great director, the great yeah. black exploitation director, he, he talked about this and he says... James gave us 
he, he gave us a tape, and it was an album full of songs. <laughs> he said, there you go. Here's your, here's your, here's your music. And, and Larry says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You need to see the picture and write to it. And, and so Fred, Wesley, yeah. picked up on that. He says, well, you know, <laughs> I always wanted to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shadow James. <laughs> so, so Fred wound up writing the orchestrations for the movie, the soundtrack, <laughs> And and James kind of just did this stream of consciousness sort of thing that he does over the top of it, and and it it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Here here's your here's your movie music, James. That's an album. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. I was just you know it's it's funny that you should mention that because I remember when uh, the Alberta Rose Theater opened a few years ago. I called you up. And I said, "What? What do you know? He never, I, not knowing you had any history with it." I said, "Come, come, twelve years yeah, old. Yeah. I was twelve you, years old, and I was going to movies at the Alberta Theater. Yeah, owned by a guy named Harvey Garnett. Uh huh. Harvey Garnett. He was he was a businessman, like you know, like Roy J. in the early days. You know, uh -huh. those black businessmen that kind of weave uh -huh. their way into things. It was the only black-owned theater in town." So a legend has it it was the only black on theater on the west of the Mississippi. I don't believe that, but it could be. It could it could yeah. have been one of, of yeah. maybe a few. Just a few, yeah. But Harvey when when Superfly came out. Yes. None, I've been playing I've been playing that soundtrack every week on my show. That, that, that's <laughs> such a great soundtrack. I mean Curtis Mayfield, he, yeah. he's just great yeah, anyway, yeah. but a body of work like that. Yeah. And and very positive. Absolutely. You know, it, right. it, it, the movie deals with a drug dealer. Right. I love movies where where there's there's uh, you know there could be a bad guy and somehow or another they get they get some redemption at the end. Yeah. You know yeah. They, they, yeah. they they just don't stay in the life. Right. Right. Okay. So let's get back. To <laughs> <laughs> so so Harvey owned yeah. the, owned the Alberta Theater. Um, so, saw me kind of interested in the projector. Said, "Hey, you want you want to learn?" So I started. Uh, the guy next door, who was a barber, uh -huh. in the daytime, would come at night and start the nighttime show on the projectors after he finished, you know, eight hours of cutting hair. And uh, Tom was his name. I forget his last name, but you know, short white dude with uh -huh. horn and glasses. <clears throat> and he taught me how to run the projectors, how to splice film. Yeah. Um, it was it was an interesting existence for a twelve year old kid. I bet. You know, I mean, if if things break down, you got to get the show running again yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. I just I looked at it as just something to kind of add to the crazy quilt of things. I yeah. was interested in that, uh -huh. so uh -huh. uh, I was lucky to have Harvey as a, a family friend. Uh -huh. He knew my sister really well, and. We would go up and see movies there all the time. He'd play all the great black exploitation stuff. Uh, uh -huh. And getting back to where um, Superfly, none of the downtown Portland theaters, this is way before Moyer owned the, the downtown stuff, uh -huh. um, they wouldn't play the movie. They wouldn't exhibit Superfly because of their perceived yeah. notion of what it was about. Right. Uh, um, and so Harvey got an exclusive 
ran Superfly for we made a, a lot of money. Made a lot of money. Oh, well, it was a place where we could go and yeah. see this kind of stuff yeah. and get the info on mm-hmm. what was going on because you know black people they didn't have a ton of power in yeah. those days. Yeah, they were they were starting to maybe. With Shaft, right, and Sweet Sweetback's badass, especially song. especially Sweet, Sweet yeah, Back. which starts especially. everything pretty it, much. Yeah, it did. I, I just saw a documentary on on Melvin Ben, ben Peebles. I played I what played, a guy. I played something off of his album. Um, what the <clears throat> you mean? I can't sing. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I it, and and it, it, what, what's the name of the song? Um, we should a, a birth certificate ain't nothing but a death sentence. <laughs> It is one of the funkiest tunes I've ever played on my and we, show. And we should mention when your show is on, and, and uh, it's nice to be, to share to share air, airwaves with you at KMHD or on Sunday nights, seven p.m. seven yeah. to ten. It's yeah. called the Message. Yeah. And um, for for uh, those of you who want to hear some Blossom Deary, I'm sorry I don't play <laughs> Blo- unless Blossom Deary gets a protest album out. Because my show deals with African American consciousness and civil rights uh-huh. filtered through freedom jazz. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of shooting for the late fifties, um, but you know I did play Louis Armstrong, uh, Black and Blue. Uh huh. You know that makes I mean, sense. I mean that's that's social commentary right that makes there. Makes total sense. Exactly. So yeah. those those things kind of sneak in, but usually it's it's later fifties. Yeah. You know, deal, dealing with that, and then you get into MLK, uh-huh. JFK, uh-huh. 68. You go up as far as Gil Scott Heron? Oh, all the time. Oh, yeah. All yeah, the time. You have to. Yeah. Do you remember when he was here, his last, his last gig here? Did, did you hear about that? Uh, well, I've told a story about the joke, him getting up and telling, and telling jokes. Oh, no, like, no, no. Oh, he got, I, he got up and started telling jokes. Yeah. Like he was, like he was in the Catskills. <laughs> He was telling like bad jokes. He told a dwarf <laughs> joke. Seriously, he told a and it was a hilarious joke. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, you wouldn't expect <laughs> him to come out out of his bag and start being a cat. What was that joke? Okay, he said he walks he he walks up on stage right, and he's you know he's old and gaunt and you know and, and cool right. Yeah, yeah, got the hat, and he says, "I was driving to the theater." <laughs> <laughs> and and I, and I I I accidentally rear-ended the car in front of me. Okay. And a dwarf gets out of the car and walks over to me and looks at me and goes, "I'm not happy." And I said, "Well, which one are you?" <laughs> <laughs> this is Gil Scott Harris. Gil Scott Heron, who, who can talk to an audience and really enlighten them about their existence, and, and, then, and, and then like he told a mother-in-law joke. I mean, it was like it was like it was the most bizarre, out of nowhere experience, you know. Uh, well, and then he sat down and played all his greatest hits. Didn't play a single thing from his new album. Wow. <laughs> and I know they're like you know his record company must have been tearing tearing their hair out. He just the, <laughs> this was at the Aladdin Theater the last time he played here. Before he died, there was a time when <laughs> Gil, Gil and his band played Starry Night. Oh yeah, and there were some nefarious things going on supposedly, yes. where uh, people were saying, "Well, we, we're just not going to pay you." Mm. And so, you know, these are these are crackheads from Chicago. Yes, 
you know? Yeah. And, and, and so one of the, and from what I heard, this is what went down. Um, one of the guys in the band says, brother, where's the nearest gas station? <laughs> and it, it's across the street. Thank you, brother. Do they have gas cans there? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, I think the owner heard this go down and promptly paid the end <laughs> and then said you could leave town now. <laughs> oh, man. That actually, I was out on tour with, with uh, Dan Siegel uh-huh. in the 80s. Yeah. Not, and one of the nicest guys, you know, kind of in the beginnings of smooth jazz yeah. and whatnot, like yeah. Tom Grant, right. who, who that genre owns a lot of cachet to Tom Grant. Oh, absolutely. You know, because yeah. he didn't yeah. he didn't play smooth jazz like you know what's normally known as smooth jazz. Yeah. It, it was it had some meat to it. Yeah. But Dan, we were in Chicago. <laughs> we were playing someplace, and some guy from Downbeat Magazine, who was a writer, opened for us uh-huh. with a ten piece band, and it was just really bad. Just oh, just, just bad. And there were only two people in the audience. One of them was slumped <laughs> over their drink. <laughs> And the other one was kind of looking around like, where's the nearest exit? So we we get up to play. We play like maybe 30 minutes. Yeah. And, and somebody says, with, with their finger across yeah. the neck, yeah. you're done. Yeah. So um, we hear from our road manager who's out with us. He says, get the gear in the van right now. Oh, and so come to find out, we're, we're driving and going down the expressway and kind of yeah. getting to the next thing. Uh-huh. So, and we said, uh, hey, Alan, what, what was that about? Says, that was that room was owned by the mob. <laughs> they said, we might let you leave town Oh, if you stop now. Wow. Because they weren't making any money. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, we... We had some paltry sort of guarantee, you know, yeah. to get to the next town. Yeah. But that was um, that was pretty frightening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I was. That. Yeah. I was yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, twenty-two. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and you're out in the middle of the world, kind of going, oh well, almost had your nuts cut off. Almost. Yes. Almost. Yes. yes. But we 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 lived to play another <laughs> day. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the kind of things that shape, you know, oh, shape man. life. So oh, did man. we finish with Harvey? No. Well, well, Harvey <laughs> was one of the outlets where black people could come yeah. and, and see art that concerned them. Uh-huh. You know, and, and plus, he ran all the – he'd have like a James Bond marathon on Sunday. Wow. Five James Bond movies back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> Hammer, horror movies. We saw oh, all yeah. that stuff, Pitting yeah. the Pendulum. And, uh-huh. You know, the Mario Brava stuff, like Black Sunday, we, uh-huh. and it was widescreen. We we were, as as kids, we saw a lot of stuff. Yeah. Remember Putney Swope? Of course. Of course. And and see, that even gets back further yeah. before Sweet Sweetback. Yes. You know, Robert yes. Downey Sr. Right. So right. That was a very strange, really bad movie. Oh, I own a copy of it. Yeah. Oh, I love I love. Putney. <laughs> But he says the Borman six girls got to have soul. <laughs> I said that to the Goodfoot guys one time, and, and none of them got it. And I, and I said, "Oh, that's right. I, that's what I'm dealing with here. Twenty years." Yes, there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing quite like <coughs> Putney Swope. I love that movie. Yeah, man, and then and then they and then they they, uh, they dubbed in somebody else's voice as Putney. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell him, tell him I said this. <laughs> 
It's not like it's not like uh, not not Walter Brennan, but but Jack Elam. Yeah, was like, yeah. yeah, my yeah. I saw that when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you know, <laughs> um, when Harvey ran it, it it was yeah. Yeah. We we saw it too. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. didn't he didn't adhere to the uh, keep the kids out of the X rating. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, parents were expected right. to kind of not bring their children yeah. to Sweet Sweet Back. <laughs> but you know, there was there was a few of us that kind of creeped in there, and we, yeah. I saw that stuff, and that that was that was a really an eye turner for me as far as yeah. history yeah. and uh, black arts. Yeah. Did you ever meet Melvin Van Peebles? Never. Oh, too bad. Never did. I would love to hear. Him. I would love to hear some stories oh, about well, him. I, I go up to YouTube and just look. <laughs> yeah. at Look at his, or listen to him talk about stuff. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. Mario, his son. Mario, you know, right. Really right. great at what he does, yeah. and he's yeah. he's a director now. And but that's that's kind of that's kind of our history there. You know, it's yeah. we we have to acknowledge that a guy like Melvin Van Peebles stuck his his neck out. Like Boy, that. did he! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And ended up owning. Every every shred of rights to it. That's so cool. Yes. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know that's that's the mailbox money that's yeah. going to sustain him. Right. Because well, know, then he became a a, a, a a Wall Street Wheeler dealer. <laughs> this guy's you know he's the Renaissance man. He is. He and, is. Yeah. And to this day, you know, he still has a fire. Yeah. A fire to what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Just like uh, what I, I posted on my Facebook page, uh, a rant from Harlan Ellison. Oh, uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. talking about getting paid as a writer. Oh, He's, oh yeah. He says, well. I, don't even, I don't take a pee without getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good because it, it, it paralleled what musicians need to be thinking about yeah. when they're, they're talking about intellectual property and whatnot. It's really cool. That's, that's what I do now. I just, I just post rants on my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> Fleeker got in. He said, hey, I like that. <laughs> Uh, talking about Matt Fleeger, our, our our wonderful program director at yes AMC. indeed, yes indeed. You know, I'm, I'm lucky so, to have him. I'm so happy that, yeah. that he called me into his office. He heard me on on KBU. Yeah, I I started kind of getting into radio like 1982. Yeah, hey there, and uh, it was it was at it was at KBU. Um, George Page. Uh huh. Rick Mitchell, yeah. Bob Dietschy, yeah. Evan Schlaes, yeah. all these guys. Um, oh, um, Richard Francis, who had the show after me forever, Different Nature. He, he, uh-huh. was, he was a championer of my cause. Uh-huh. Um, David Lifton. Uh-huh. You know, all the old guys. Matt Clark. Uh, Eugene Rashad, who still is there and still has a great show. Uh-huh. And I always tell people, please listen to The Motif. Yeah. On KBU Radio 90.7, Saturdays at 2 p.m. with Eugene Rashad, because I can assure you he's listening to my show. Yeah. And we're stealing from yeah. each other. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's our yeah. plan for world domination. Yeah. Just to have yeah. two shows that you just can't ignore. Yeah. But 82 is when I started at KBU, and I still sub from time to time over there. Uh, Matt heard me on Eugene's show. Yeah. And called me up and says, uh, you know, would you be interested in just talking about a concept that I have? And yeah. that's where the message came from. Yeah, I remember uh, when when Cam HD came over from Mount Hood, I mean, saying to Matt, listen, there's two guys you should really get here. <laughs> one is Carlton, the other one was Bill Rhodes. Oh, thank you, know? you. 
Thank you. And and I, Bill, I'm sorry to see him go. You know what a what a fountain of yeah. knowledge. Yeah. But yeah. you know things change in people's lives. That's like Krista Wessel. Yep. You know, 20, yep. 25 years of doing Beaverville, you know. That's a long time. She, ha- long she has time. the right long to kind of want to do something long else. Time. Long time. But, yeah, no, Matt Matt has been nothing but cool. Um, okay, so yep. what about the what about the band <laughs> at Blackwell's? Um, I'm not there anymore. Oh, no. I, it was time to leave. Oh. It was time to leave. It had been three years, and, and um, that kind of – spurred on my relationship that goes onward with uh-huh. Lloyd Jones. Ah, Lloyd Jones. In fact, I'm playing tonight with uh-huh. Lloyd Jones. Ah. Um, I'm playing this weekend with Lloyd. Where? Um, at uh, Halibut's tonight. Oh, Halibut's, yeah. And then uh, Saturday at the Country Inn. Yeah. Um, three years. I'd been there for three years. Yeah. Um, whatever restless spirit in me said that, you know, it's probably time for you to go kind of reared its ugly head. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I wish those guys the best of luck. It, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, I need to I need to really figure out something that's my own and start to kind of kind of live up to it. What do you think that is? <sighs> Whether it's the big man uh-huh. reuniting yeah. and um, finding a home. Yeah. That would be, that would be something that I would consider. Um, Got a call the other day from Derek Sims. Hmm. He wants to do something that that kind of leans toward acoustic instruments slash electronica. Well, that's great. You know, he had that. He did that wonderful album with Keith, with Schreiner, Keith Schreiner. Exactly. You know, I mean, and and they never followed up on it. You know, I mean, I I play that all the time on the radio. You know, they it, their time might have been a little early. Yeah. You know, because now. Yeah. Right. They they right. they'd probably be able to find some spot some you know yeah. dimly lit sort of restaurant where yeah. they could play. Oh, what was the name of that place where they used to play? In Old Town. Oh, it had the it had the, uh, Oriental rugs Pi- on the floor. Pyram. Pi- yeah, 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 Pyram. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a cool place, which I never went to. I never not because I didn't like those guys because Derek either Derek or Keith gave me the album. Yeah. And said you need to listen to this and and I yeah. did because yeah. I. Yeah. I, I listened to bunches of stuff. Yeah. But I think they might have just been a little early for for, yeah. the, for people to get into them. Now uh-huh. um, Derek's feeling his oats to do it. That's great. And and that'll get my electronic chops back up because I, I I used to do stuff with David uh, Ornette Cherry. I remember. We we do yeah. these two laptop gigs where yeah. we're firing samples off to each other and yeah. we would just play grooves and. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, there's an interesting cat. Oh, damn! <laughs> you know, what a what a humble guy. Yeah. He, um, I started working with him in 2007. Uh-huh. One of the first gigs I played with him was at uh, the Sunday Lounge. No rehearsal. He had charts. We just went up there. Michael York, the great Michael York, was yeah. on that gig, and yeah. we miss him a lot. I I remember seeing you guys play together at. Um, that club on uh, Morrison and just oh. just on the other side on the on the on the on the on the east side of the bridge, the Morrison Bridge. Oh, Eastburn? No, it or was Blue Mont? No, 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 it was on more. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter. It, it's, <laughs> it's 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 in its it has its fourth you know iteration now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, I saw you and and, and Michael York and and uh, and, and 
with David. And he's David. He travels, you know, between yeah. his yeah. work with yeah. Susan Banyas, yeah. the uh, director, yeah. playwright, right. who uh, has connection to Sam Peckinpah. That way. Wow. So the Banyas family were huh. big friends with uh, really? the Selland family, which huh. uh, Peckinpah was engaged yeah. to Marie yeah. Selland for a while. And they all kind of ran together. So I, I go to Susan and get my my peck and fuck <laughs> fix. So you're this is this is actually this is really good news. You know you're you're kind of turning a page and mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you're gonna have a you know some some excitement and some uh, some some new and something. Yeah, that's, I, that's good. I I think that you know it's 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 one of those things where I I just I just said okay. I need to I need to shake it up a little bit. Yeah. I need to do that. Everybody has to once in a while. And and I think between either that band happening with Derek or uh -huh. the big band maybe uh -huh. going into its third chapter. Yeah. You know, I, and a few more gigs with the good good for the all stars. Well <laughs> we do four gigs a year. Yeah. We'd, li we'd like to do more. Yeah. All four gigs are usually at the good foot. Yeah. Um, this whole thing with the blues festival is kind of good for us because nobody knows yeah. us other than the kids that go to the good foot. Yeah. And I think that band's really good. I, I think that we we've been we've been a band for about seven years now. Wow. So the James Brown tribute uh -huh which that was one of my first gigs with the All-Stars. Um, it's grown. It's gotten better. Uh -huh. uh, we we have a forward motion about what we do. Uh, it's my responsibility to, to sing slash scream at least 11 tunes on that show. Because, wow. you know, I mean, it, we'd be just another good-sounding instrumental band. But yeah. I like James. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be him. I'm not right. out front, but I'm, you know, yeah. when we do yeah. the big payback, there's mm -hmm. three or four pages of lyrics yeah. that you have to get through. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I got it all right there. There you go. I grew up with this stuff, so, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not like, reading it from a book. Right. And, and sometimes I have to get that over to the guys in the band who yeah. are 20 years younger than me. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason why he did talking loud and saying nothing, well, it's in the title. Right, <laughs> you know the uh, the crack was good that day. Yes, and and he's he's you know the guys in the band. It's that joke where he's like, I don't I don't care what he says, just keep saying yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah. James just he was feeling his oats, and so yeah. that's twelve minutes and forty seven seconds of stream of consciousness, James. Absolutely. And so. I told the guys, I said, you know, we can we can say we want to do that tune, but there's not a lot for you to do. Yeah. You know, but there is six pages for me to read. <laughs> so they say, ah, okay, well, we don't want to do that. Let's let's do the big payback. Yeah. And there's that yeah. same sort of scenario, but there's more stuff going on that's interactive with the band. So we we've grown as far yeah. as making that stuff go. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to be looking for all that stuff. All of it. And thank you so much for, you know, for, for, for this has been fun. Yeah, this is kind of like that stream of consciousness thing. It is. You know, it is. Bounce from thing to thing. It's a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Thank you for having me.